the you kind of like this guy, but when you can't decide between the filet o fish or the Big Mac, and he says, I'll get you both. Thank you. You definitely <laughs> like this guy meal. Get it at McDonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Welcome to Bald Move Television, the officially unofficial podcast for all of your television needs. I'm your host, Cecily. And I am your co-host, Alexis. And today we are covering the second episode of HBO's His Dark Materials titled The Idea of North. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the episode, Alexis? Um, I believe that this episode gave us a lot more character work than anything else. It didn't end exactly where I thought it would be, knowing the pacing of the books. I was a little bit surprised, but overall, I liked it. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Yeah, again, I have read just the first book, and you are just in in entrenched in all of the materials, so you yeah, (laughs) (laughs) so you know everything. I was really pleasantly surprised by this episode. I was feeling really bad about feeling conflicted about the last episode. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of my internal criticisms or, you know, external, I guess, since I recorded it and released (laughs) it to everyone, all of those criticisms, I think, still kind of stand. Uh, I think it was it was just a lot of exposition they were trying to shove into that first episode. Right. But now that we've seen this episode, I can honestly say I don't know what's going to happen. Even having read that book, mm-hmm. there's there's so there's so much nuance to all of the characters that we're discovering here. So it 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 seemed really exciting to me. I loved it, and I'm super excited for how this series is going to go. And I keep checking to see how many episodes we're going to get, and it still seems like ah oh, eight episodes. They're going to just do all of this in eight episodes yeah definitely that that was another thing i was wondering because they spent so much time on the events of this episode and it ended where it did uh like what are they going to have to rush in the future part of the story right because we already had this one world with just all of these interesting things happening and now we've got a whole new world that people can explore like ah Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm I'm 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 crazy. I'm crazy about seeing where it's going to go. <laughs> it's very interesting. So, do you want to just get right into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Some brief housekeeping. First up uh, on Swizzbold, our new network that Jim, Cecily, and I launched, uh, the debut of Three Right Turns, a political podcast that I'm hosting. It's an introduction pod where I talk about my cultural, religious, and economic background and how it informs the show and the objectives of Three Right Turns. If that sounds cool, check out swizzbold.com or search for Three Right Turns uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Pickle Me This, our Rick and Morty podcast, is banging this week because the season premiere of Rick and Morty just dropped season four. It was amazing. It's a good time time uh there's a bunch of fascist care bears in it check that out on pickle me this also on bald move tv jim and i are going to be talking about uh the mandalorian this week we're going to be previewing that on the new disney service bald movies features dr sleep last week this week we're going to be seeing ford versus ferrari check that out if you're interested in those movies we had the finale of american horror story our watchman podcast we do is still weird as fuck you can find the latest stuff we're doing at baldmove.com or search for any of these show names where you listen to your favorite podcasts so this episode starts with um, right after Lyra and Mrs. Coulter arrive in London off of their airship, they arrive at this grand building and 
Lyra thinks, is this yours? All of it? <laughs> like everyone who comes to see us at the Bald Move headquarters uh. here, we are in a similar building. Right. Uh, but Ms. Coulter only has the one floor. Just the one floor. That's it. We just, just have the one room. <laughs> <laughs> just the one floor, though. Yeah. She's modest. Mm-hmm. Um, we see once she gets to her floor that she has a secret key slash code that she needs to use to operate the elevator, uh, which Lyra will not, and I don't think she'll ever know. She shows her around the living room, her terrace, uh, where her bedroom is, and her study where she would like it to remain her own private space, mm-hmm. and Lyra's bedroom, and lets her get settled in. There's some really beautiful like art deco slash mid-century modern style stylings happening in this apartment. Right, I, which I love. I love, I love mid-mod just mm-hmm. as a concept now. I loved it when it was new in the 60s. Right. Um, and it also gives this world a kind of timelessness. We, a little bit, yeah. I actually, I watched the first episode with my stepson, who is 13 now, because I was dying to know what a child who, which is kind of, I think is the target audience of the books mm-hmm. when they were written or, you know, it was young adult series are, I wanted to know what his perspective was. And he's like, when is this? It's <laughs> like, buddy, I don't know. Yeah. It could be 20 years in the future. It could be 20 years in the past, but... It it looks amazing, as it well does. as all of her outfits. Yes, absolutely. All the the fabrics that are chosen feel again very timeless because they are they're cut in I would say somewhat modern ways. But the fabrics themselves are a little like a little rougher, a little thicker than what you would normally expect. Mm-hmm. That's just an interesting thing. Yeah, and I love that she's got a matching trench coat for all of her outfits. Of course she does. <laughs> of course she does. The uh, So the tan trench coat she wore in the first episode, I remember it struck me because, of course, it just, the silhouette is perfect how it frames her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed this one does the same thing. And someone get me the name of that, that stylist. <laughs> uh, so we get a quick cut to Roger in the gobbler hideout. He's mm-hmm. been gobbled, confirmed. And he meets up with Billy Costa. And this is not going to be the first time I say this, but these kids are impossibly cute. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They're chubby-cheeked little darlings, <laughs> yeah. and I love them. And it's also, it just from a like soothing perspective, it was really nice to see that they have already found each other, so they're not completely alone in this god-awful situation. Yeah. Yeah. Having that kind of comfort gives them, well, we'll see later how that can, <laughs> that can translate into mistrust here. Yeah. So Lyra and Miss Coulter are having breakfast on the terrace. Uh, Lyra is looking out brazenly over the edge, and Mrs. Coulter asks how she is with heights, and she says that she's never bothered, never been bothered by them. She used to sleep on the roof with Roger every other Sunday, and Miss Lyra says, or not Miss Lyra, Miss Coulter says, "No, you didn't." And she's like, "Yes, yes, I did." Mm-hmm. And you can see her here where she's kind of testing the way that Lyra tells tales. Yeah. This. Her sleeping on the roof, absolutely true. Um, Roger climbing her hair, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah. That uh, comes in later. Yeah. Miss Coulter reminds her that she has her best people looking for Roger and then tells us at the end that she's never been so sure about heights because she always has the occasional urge to just jump. Yeah, that is something that I have heard people be afraid of before. Is that feeling of standing on the edge and like not trusting yourself to not jump? So that was an 
an interesting character moment for how her. Are, yeah. How are you with heights? I was scared shitless of them when I was younger, and now I don't care anymore. I don't know what changed. Interesting. Maybe rappelling down a 40-foot wall in training okay. had something to do with that. But yeah, they don't scare me anymore. How about you? Um, I get... I don't know. Am I one of those people who's afraid of jumping? Because I don't think I'm actually scared of them. I'll get really close. Mm-hmm. I'll get so close that it's scary. You know, I don't have a problem going up to like high places that are safe, like right. an airplane or of like the King's Island Eiffel Tower type of thing, which mm-hmm. granted isn't that high. I don't, I, if it's safe, I don't have any fear of, at all. But we like to go hiking a lot, especially around here. There's a lot of mountains. Getting up to the top, to the edge of these cliffs, it just... Uh, it's, yeah, I think I might be one of those people who's just scared I'll jump. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't smack your demon. That's one oh. thing I have to ask. I'll certainly try. <laughs> okay. But, I don't know. I just hate myself so much. We'll <laughs> get into it. We'll get yeah, into what's yeah, yeah. happening That's, here. That'll, that'll come in later. <laughs> so, Coulter takes uh, Lyra to lunch at the Arctic Institute. Goes straight from one food scene to another. I know. <laughs> um, and we see a scrailing, or Lyra sees a scrailing who mapped the currents of the great northern ocean, Elizar, who, of course, Miss Coulter knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lyra is just running around looking at all of the sights. She's putting her disgusting child fingers all <laughs> over the glass like a savage person. And she sees an ir- er, ir- armored bear skull that's huge. Mm-hmm. And we're ser- and they're served sweetbreads courtesy of the chef. So, I mean, we learn a lot here that Miss Coulter has, is a scholar, but has mostly made her name by being a society woman. Mm-hmm. She knows all of the right people to have lunch and meals with. And right. how to... The level of composure that you should have in polite society. Mm-hmm. Especially as a woman. I mean, Yeah, definitely. Oh my God, I think this is true today. Any bit of emotion is just a weakness for you as a woman. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind, ladies. But don't be too Reel emotionless because then you're a cold bitch. Yeah, of course. Always so. smile. Uh-huh. You have to smile. A very polite, uh, just the correct amount of wattage in your smile. <laughs> so find that and you'll be set. I did notice this thing she does, which is so, it's so subtle and so eerie, but you know, you can see her eyes kind of flare at times. And then she does this smile and does this hmm thing when she's, every time she smiles and you can see she's struggling to recompose herself mm-hmm. is so scary. Yeah. She, Ruth Wilson does an amazing job in this episode. Yes. Just showing this character and all of the subtlety in this character. Right. Which we'll we'll talk more about that later whenever yeah. the monkey shines we get to start this. happening. Oh my god, I wrote <laughs> them down as monkey shines in my notes Oops. too. Okay, same page club. <laughs> uh so Lyra reminds her that a child's eyes are useful and that maybe she could help in the search. And Miss Coulter tells her that look around, there's not many women in this room, and she can teach her to wield her power over all of these men if she allows her to be molded. And Lyra agrees to just trust the search of Roger to Mrs. Coulter. Mm-hmm. Here we see Lyra basically being pulled away from everything that she loves, everything that she's interested in, which is uh, you know, artifacts, history, just evidence that there is a greater world out there that she hasn't seen yet. Yes. She's being pulled from that into Mrs. Coulter's world of just polite society and there are certain ways that you can and can't behave 
and it's all really boring <laughs> and not something that Lyra cares about. Right, but Mrs. Coulter is treated with armored bears and she's mm -hmm. been to the north and she knows all these people, so surely sh this is the way to do it. Yeah, this must be useful information. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Um, so we get a scene of Lord Fa Fartercorum and Benjamin de Reuter uh, <laughs> discussing how Benjamin de Reuter has been observing a truck routinely going in and out of an empty warehouse, and they make a plan to strike that place with force because that's the best information they have. Mm -hmm. I was very worried that this would turn out to be wrong. That it would be some kind of like dry cleaning warehouse. <laughs> right, which is maybe not too far off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we go back to Lyra and Mrs. Coulter and they're having a bath and they're having a nice time. I love that the monkey has its back turned here. It's so, so respectful. It is respectful, but it's also like a little bit strange because this is part of Mrs. Coulter. This isn't a separate being. Right. So why would... And you know that she makes him turn around. But right. why? Why would she do that? <laughs> right. It's some because weird, like, shame. It's almost as if it's a completely separate entity for Mrs. Coulter. As if there are two halves to her. Mm -hmm. hmm. And she really doesn't like that other, that other half of herself. Yeah. That's not informed. I just really don't know. <laughs> I know something mildly interesting that mm -hmm. could play into why that particular reaction is happening between Mrs. Coulter and her male demon. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, and not the same. Well, obviously not the same between Lyra and her male demon. He's been with her forever, so of course. And they're also still kids. Yeah. So Lyra tells a story about how Roger climbed her hair once and <laughs> Mrs. Coulter has a fistful of her hair and grabs it and says, "I, you can't lie to me. Lying is not polite and this must be part of her molding. And uh, it's really kind of her first show of savagery here. Yeah. Um, so they go to her room after the bath and Pan says, you shouldn't change just to fit in. Mm -hmm. And Lyra says she's nice and she treats her nice and she deserves to have nice things. And I love this um, actress's actor, Daphne Keene's um, dialogue with her demon Pan. Because this, you can believably see these are the parts of yourself, along with, you know, when he wakes her up later to check on a noise, that you mm -hmm. have the same kind of internal dialogues in your own head. Right. Like, uh, something just woke me up. Uh, there's this place in between being afraid of enough that something's actually happening to go check it out, mm -hmm. or being tired enough to just say, I need to go back to sleep. Yeah, for sure. It's a really interesting way to also not have, to not have narration inside someone's head because I, I think that's a lazy way of filmmaking so this is fun it's uh it's interesting because exposition inside someone's head happens a lot in books mm -hmm. and i feel like that is where a lot of adaptations suffer turning books to shows such as the works of mr stephen king mm -hmm. i a lot of his adaptations don't work as well because so much of what happens in those stories is inside the character's head we see Mrs. Coulter still lingering in the bathtub and she's just staring off into the distance and we can only imagine what's going through her head. And she's just kind of in a trance, one of many that she goes, she likes to go into. And she 
realizes that her monkey is watching her and she makes eye contact with it and it turns away like it's pretending not to watch. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not a part of your soul. No, it's almost like in that moment where she is kind of a little bit emotionless, but also like a little bit fierce. Like that is a weakness that she is showing that on her face. And for even her her demon, which is supposed to be part of her, to see that scrap of weakness embarrasses her a little bit. Right. Or it you know, her demon knows that it embarrasses her, so he looks away. Yeah, it's another part of her to control and and uh put away, like mm-hmm. you said. So we go to that scene where Pan uh, wakes up and hears banging in the walls and Lyra throws her pillow at him to shut him up <laughs> and they go back to sleep. Could be anything. It's an old mm-hmm. house. Floor. Building. Building. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. It's the city. The city makes noise. So then we go to the Egyptians arriving at the hideout just a little bit too late, but they do find Billy's sweater vest. Oh my God, that little sweater vest. I know. Amazing. I know. Lord Fa says that they still don't know what they want the children for. Which I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it right here. I think that they should know. If you're using the term gobblers and G O B is short for general oblation board, mm-hmm. the and the journalist knows this and can't wait and can't wait to reveal this to us. Yeah, later in the episode. Um, but I don't know. I'm it glad. is yeah, it is interesting. Um I'm trying to remember how that like nickname came about kind of organically within context of the book. And I cannot. Maybe just, you know what? Actually, I'm going to give it a little bit more credit here. Maybe it's just children overhearing that being that term being thrown around and recycled into the Egyptians. And that's all they know. It does make you, it does make you wonder though, like who, (laughs) who would see G.O.B.? And say gob for one instead of the general elevation board or whatever like right especially if you've seen arrested development i'm like it's job <laughs> job oh man i forgot about that so the joblers is what i'm going to start calling them <laughs> i like it so we go back to roger con- uh comforting billy in their new hideout a basement in some place and billy's missing his mom and he promises him that Lyra will come for them. These two little boys are heartbreakingly cute. Mm-hmm. So sweet. Have little tears on their face all the time. Very trusting. Yeah. And Lyra's coming for you, I promise. So we go to Lyra getting fitted for a dress. And this Daphne Keen, I love the way she plays this character. She's like, it ain't got much given it. I like running around, you know? <laughs> She uh, does. Yeah, she Lyra is a girl after my own heart. I too appreciate a full range of motion in my clothing options. Yes. And How pockets. Gonna, that dress has zero to, pockets. Zero pockets. What if you need to punch somebody? You can't. Exactly. Because you won't be able to extend your it's just it's a I, shit show. Yeah. I think the seamstress actually listened to her though, because it had enough given it for her to be climbing around in the vents and the in the walls. So That's true. Yeah. But blue is her color. That was yeah. I would agree with that. Accurate. Yeah. And Lyra has this uh, shot of her in the mirror saying, this will allow her to wield power. And it's so mm-hmm. cute. If her uncle could see her, he'd be delighted. Miss Coulter is sure. Anything to say about that scene? Uh, Yeah, of course he would be, be delighted. 
Mm-hmm. Lyra would be fitting right in with the patriarchy. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and it's also her father we find out later. Is that why he'd be so delighted? Perhaps. He is a shit dad. Yeah. I'll say in light of... <laughs> In light uh, of the, everything we've seen in the last episode, knowing that now. Yeah, he's a child abandoner, basically. <laughs> um, it, it, seeing Lyra and Mrs. Coulter side by side in the same color really drives home how well the casting was done for these two characters. Like, it's totally believable that they would be related. Yeah, blue is uh, Miss Coulter's color, too. Same. Yep, it is accurate. So we see Boreal in the chapel of the Jordan College, I assume. And there's this great mm-hmm. shot of him kneeling down before he enters the church and uh, the master's raven flying over him. It's incredible. Boreal came to find Grumman's head and bring it back to the magisterium. Grumman, sorry. Grumman's head and bring it back to the magisterium. Um, in this scene, he invokes his power of the constitutorial court, which I don't think we've been introduced to what that is yet. Yeah. And they need to know where Grumman has been. And the master denies him that right, but tells him exactly where the skull can be found. Mm-hmm. I love the way his Raven plays this in the scene too. Just a squawk at him as he walks by. <laughs> um, I believe to my knowledge in the book, I don't think they have actually said the Constitution nope can't say that word the CCD is the acronym for it and oh. that comes from the book of dust which is the first book of the new trilogy Okay, that they really get into the CCD and all the shit that they get up to so that was an interesting addition so yeah with that and the flood you can see how they're really kind of remixing elements of all of the books mm-hmm. bits of them into the series would you agree yeah definitely which i mean makes sense if you consider that the second set of books didn't exist when the first set of books were written but if they did then obviously all that stuff would be mixed together mm-hmm so Unlike you, Alexis, Lyra isn't best at books. <laughs> uh, she's best at adventuring, and she reveals to Miss Coulter in the scene that she knows about dust. They're negatively charged particles, just like electrons. And you can see under the table, and I think Pan may be seeing this too, that Mrs. Coulter is twisting her monkey's ear or grabbing its fur and hurting yeah, she it. she has her fingers like buried in its fur, and she's squeezing just like she did with Lyra's hair in the bathtub. Yeah, and she's yeah. doing... And you just think she's inflicting this on herself, mm-hmm. almost like digging your fingers into your thigh or something like that. It's like, she, it's like a warning for him to not show anything, even though she herself is showing something by pre preemptively punishing him. Yeah. So she explains away her knowledge of dust by saying she listened on a passing college visitor and... <laughs> Very convincing. Yeah. <laughs> And Mrs. Coulter always does or also does a very convincing job of telling us that she knows less about dust than Lyra does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so we go over to Ma Costa losing her mind. And you can tell by the state of Tony Costa's hair that they haven't left the boat because she's afraid of losing her other son. And she's just getting more and more desperate. And the search party returns with proof that Billy was there. Mm-hmm. And that they're on the right path. 
that they barely missed him. Yeah, she's having a really bad day. Yeah. So she cries, and Lord Fa goes to comfort her. Mm-hmm. And while they are away, Benjamin de Reuter has Tony come in on a plan with him to find Billy themselves. Mm-hmm. And who knows what that plan's going to be. Is this the last time we see them? Before in... the end of the episode? Uh, let me double I check. So. But yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, we don't see them again in this episode. Um, the, the intimacy between Lord Fa and Malcosta. Yes. Makes you, makes you kind of think about some parentage. Not that it matters. It but, does. Because I asked yeah. the question last week about Benjamin de Reuter and <laughs> Ma Costa. Mm-hmm. And now I'm asking questions about Lord Fa and Ma Costa. Because yeah. there's, there's, there's a way. There's, there's, I mean, I think Lord Fa has that kind of energy about him, which is what made him king. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, there's an intimacy there, like you said. So we go to the Magisterium where the cardinal surprises Father McPhail. Mm-hmm. Who, by the way, I just learned this, is um, Daphne Keene's actual father. Who? Father McPhail. Is he really? Yeah. The Sorry, the actor who plays him. Okay. Yeah. It's cute. Cool. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Uh, so she's got to be in our best behavior on set, I guess. <laughs> I guess, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what what a conflict of interest there with her having the alethiometer and him being in the magisterium. Mm-hmm. Mm, that doesn't bode well for for <laughs> future choices. Feels right though. It falls right in the uh, rebel child narrative. Yeah, yeah. So the cardinal says that he's having problems with the general oblation board, and that they're making too much noise. He approves of their methods, but not of their discretion. And he tells Father McPhail to let Mrs. Coulter know that she needs to keep it cute or put it on mute. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yes, but also no. And this is... Ugh. I I had to take a second. Sorry. This is where we realize that there are multiple factions within the Magisterium. is not one unified whole. And that's interesting. Yeah, because it seems like Mrs. Coulter is doing her own thing. Boreal's doing his own thing, which mm-hmm. he's not even telling either of those sides. Right. What is wrong with the Cardinal? Why is he doing this bent over routine? I don't know. Is that just to make him creepy? Is it to make him look like the Chancellor? I feel like he um, looks like one of the Skeksis from was, the Dark yeah, Crystal. Yeah, exactly. The, he's the Chancellor, right? That's what he was called? Yes. Yeah, I, it feels a lot like that, but yes, I think it is just meant to be menacing with his little, his little bug flying around. Right. Yeah. He's, he's not walking around with a cane or anything. And I don't know if this could be just like scoliosis or something like that. Yeah, it could be. There are definitely, you know, people in the world who at first glance you would think we're hunching over, but that's just the way their spine is when they're standing up. Right. But. There's the scene at the end where there's that big magisterium symbol on the wall and he stands upright to look at it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I was confused about what was going on. But he is one of many people that we see in this episode have a problematic demon shape. His is, I think it was a bee, but just like an ultra big bee. 
So yeah. registers on just screen. Like, just like so crushable. Yes. So crushable. So crushable. But also if there's a bird around that's not a demon, I would be so scared they would just come down and swoop up my demon and then you're dead. Why right? wouldn't they? Yeah, these are all very good questions that I don't think will ever be addressed. What if your demon's not paying attention and walks into like some fly tape? <laughs> oh no. Does Deep- that exist in this world? I don't know. Deeply unfortunate. Oh no. What if your mouse demon gets stuck on a glue trap? I know. Oh. Right? There's some problems here that, you know, you have to be quick-witted as I a person so. and as a demon, I guess. Yeah. Or, no, I don't know. It's a reflection. Of the demon shape that your demon settles into is a reflection of your personality or inner soul, something like that. Your spirit, yeah. Right. Something. So this journalist has a delicate, pretty face and a delicate butterfly. Mm-hmm. But not the heart of a real journalist. <laughs> Apparently, I guess. I don't know. Uh. A butterfly also samples nectar from different flowers, which you could say journalists do whenever they speak to people. Oh, okay. Mm, look That's what I good. Did. That's very good. Thanks. Analysis. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Lyra and Pan hear some monkey shines going on in the vent tunnel system of the apartment. Lyra follows the sound to the office where she finds Mrs. Coulter's monkey in there. Coulter from all the way down the hall catches her and Lyra is wondering how she's able to get so far away from her demon and letting us as the audience know that it's painful and unnatural to be that far away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was wondering that myself earlier in the episode. Why doesn't Lyra's demon as a moth just go in there and find out what the noise is? Well, Too can't far. get that far. Yep. They didn't... They don't do a great job explaining this, I don't think. You have to, like, if you already know, you can see what's happening. But with that, the gobbler's demon, the fox, I think what is happening there is that they are, in like, kind of entrancing a person, a kid's demon. And because you have to stay within a certain distance, like, you have to follow your demon. And that's how, that's how it gets you. Mm. Swoops behind you. Yeah. Spooky. Spooky what these people are doing with their demons and themselves. Yes. Uh, so she gaslights Lyra like a pro, sends her back to bed. I Was that was that pro gaslighting? No, it, was, it wasn't. Well, you know what? I mean, it's pro gaslighting. Yeah, it is. That doesn't work. Bad lying. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you were wrong. He was beside <laughs> me the whole time. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I am 12, ma'am, not three. <laughs> well, Lyra is special, like Roger said in the last episode. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Coulter's bewitching eyes don't work on Lyra, but they work on all these other kids, including Roger, in a way. They don't work on uh, Father McPhail later either. (laughs) Right. So once she sends her back to bed, she slaps her monkey on the head. Yeah. And Jesus. That was really well done as like a person who has witnessed some abuse before. It was spot on yeah. exactly just like casual right hatefulness just feels natural this yeah. is how you respond it's like smoking a cigarette to relieve the stress you just hit something you just got to punch a hole in a wall or slap a monkey <laughs> slap part of yourself yep yeah um and i don't think we talked about this last episode and i want to bring it up now these demons were played by puppets 
they did puppetry for all of the most of the demons in the show and I can see why now because she really needed that thing to act off of but also they replace all the puppets with CGI afterwards which is okay yeah I mean if it if it accomplishes the look that they're going for, I guess you can go to any lengths right. to make that happen. It just, it does seem a little counterintuitive. Yeah, it does make me wonder if they intended on doing a little bit better of puppetry mm-hmm. and it didn't work out. So they just did, in the end, they just the did CGI, CGI on top of that. Yeah. Because, um, I don't know, if you didn't have puppets, you could just have, you know, Andy Circus in a green suit acting against Ruth Wilson and why do you need a puppet at all? Yeah. I don't know. They're also using live animals too. Um, Lord Boreal's snake yes. is a live snake. Yes. Which is cool. His snake. <laughs> <laughs> In some scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about Lord Boreal's snake. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it right now actually. So he comes to the college or he comes back to the college at night and we get to meet his demon. Uh, did they name his demon? Her uh, they They may have at some point, but I missed it. Um, they go to the crypts, and they're searching for the most recently treated skull. They find it, and there's a hole in the skull. And he puts, Boreal puts his hand on it and says that this is not Grumman, and Asriel lied. So my question is, who is, who does the skull belong to? Why is there a hole in it? And where is Grumman? The people in the north of this world are known for trepanning themselves, which is that's what that's the, called whenever you bore a hole into your own skull. Are those the alive. Tartars that we've heard about? Um, no, it isn't the Tartars. It is the the race of northern indige- indigenous people, which oh. I can't remember the name of at the moment. Oh, okay. But it's something they did on purpose. That wasn't the way he died. No, yeah, that's uh, it. Again, this is a thing that you would get from the books because mm-hmm. they explain it actually in that first scene where Lord Azrael is trying to get funding from Jordan mm-hmm. College. Um, they they discuss trepanning there, and it's to like increase your connection to dust. Yeah, the idea is that it's going straight into your dome piece. It's a very it's a very Lovecraftian thing, and I'm not sure if that's something that Lovecraft invented. Um, but it's a way it's. In the Lovecraft lore, it's a way to create another eye for you to make contact with the Elder Gods or the Older Ones. So, I get it. I understand. It's, it's based in reality. There there are people who did and maybe still do that hmm. in the yeah. world. Something to consider. Uh, <laughs> as, I don't know if anybody else listens to Sawbones, but don't drill a hole in your head. Okay. Fine, I won't. Okay. Um, I'm I'm wondering now too. Is Bor does Boreal have some kind of secret ability, extra ability to put his hand on the skull and understand its origin or who it is? Or is he just making an assumption because it's been Japan and he's like, oh, right. no, no white bread fool would do this to himself. <laughs> right. I mean, because yeah. he has this also same or different or unrelated ability to move between worlds which mm-hmm. i guess we'll find out more about later um yeah then so now this is the part where he goes to that secret creepy garden and he slips through a shimmery portal to another world 
and it looks like it's modern day, um, maybe like in our world right now, what London, England would look like. It is Oxford. Okay. We we learn at the end of the episode, he kind of, someone asks him where he was and he was like, I was in Oxford, oh, okay. but you didn't ask me which one. Oh, got you. Oh, got him. <laughs> <laughs> So he gets into a car that has lots of parking tickets. You can tell it's been there a while and uses a cell phone to text someone that mm-hmm. he's back. A touchscreen cell phone. A touchscreen cell phone. So there we are. We know where we are now. <laughs> so we go to Lyra in her room playing with the compass. And Coulter says that she has guests coming and asks Lyra to stay in her room. So obviously she immediately leaves the room to spy on what's going on. Uh, Father McPhail arrives with Father Garrett and uh, Father McPhail and Mrs. Coulter speak privately in her office. She puts the keys away in her breast pocket mm-hmm. and very closely offers him tea or water or something. And she's doing her best kind of seduction, bewitching, mm-hmm. power wielding, blue wearing routine here. <laughs> it's not working on him. No. It's almost working, but not quite. Don't you hate that when people have principles and you just can't use them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I uh, I can relate to that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so he drops on her that the cardinal has sent a warning. And as Lyra listens outside, Father Garrett catches her, who has another problematic bug-shaped demon. Mm-hmm. Um, so good luck with that, Garrett. And he by way of doing that alerts Coulter that Lyra is outside and she dismisses both of these men and Lyra goes back to her room and for some reason feels like the lithiometer is at risk in this scene Mm -hmm. just because the magisterium is in the house perhaps and she feels like she needs to keep it close to her so she puts in a handbag and keeps it on her always uh Lyra or I mean Coulter rather shows the gentleman out no, uh, there are some mildly interesting choices with Pan's form in any given scene. I I know what Pan's final form is going to be. Okay. And we've Did... seen it a few times. That's what that's mm-hmm. what I figured is that I know from reading the books that he he changes into some very different things. I know there's a scene in the very beginning of the first book where they're just playing with other children and he turns mm-hmm. into a dragon. Right. And I assume that he always turns into the same age type of animal. Mm-hmm. Like he can't turn into a fully adult male lion because he's, right. you know, he's 13 year old. Yeah. So he's always going to look like Simba from the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I, yeah. I but like- it does seem to favor like three or four forms. Yeah. This, this ermine white, uh, mm-hmm. thing we see and there is a there's a moth that he turns into a lot uh, the wild cat which is when she's being the very fierce cat, is which also is also adorable the fiercest thing she can do it's so cute it's very cute and then the um oh what is it called it's a martin it's a pine martin yes kind of reddish the, with the stuff on its neck with the ears and all that mm-hmm. the cute little ears <laughs> oh so cute that ermine foreign is absolutely my favorite. It's Mine too. Spooky face. It's got those big expressive eyes. Little and... nose twitching. Ugh. Yeah. 
dying. Okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Whoever did the animal work on this show, why weren't you available when they made the Lion King? Just, just asking questions here, guys. In good faith. Yeah. Yeah. The good animals faith. are very expressive. So then we. So then. Lyra enters the the living room with Mrs. Coulter. Oh, and I meant to mention, sorry, um, we kind of get the, the feeling that maybe the Magisterium wasn't supposed to know that Lyra was with Mrs. Coulter. She, they, they give her a lot of pointed looks, like Father Garrett, when he catches her, is like, first of all, why are you here? And second of all, who are you? And then Father McPhail gives that same look after her. Um, I'm not sure why it matters to them yet that she's got... A young female assistant uh, when they already know she's experimenting on children. She she names her and they know that to be on the lookout for a kid named Lyra. Uh, I think that's the problem. Okay. She calls her Lyra, which I don't know why she did that. She could have called her literally anything else, <laughs> but maybe in the heat of the moment. Yeah. She lost herself. Lost a little bit of control. Wasn't mm-hmm. a monkey there. Nothing to squeeze. <laughs> Sorry. So Mrs. Coulter sees Lyra wearing this handbag and tells her to take it off. It's a little old for her. And Lyra says, uh, you got angry with those men. And she's like, no, I wasn't. She's like, you are angry now. And she said, <laughs> she gets proof of how angry she is. The monkey with just not even any kind of, I wouldn't even say it's verbal, just a grunt. She mm-hmm. was able to sick this monkey on Pan, and they have this confrontation where Pan goes through all kinds of shapes and chooses his fiercest little wildcat thing, mm-hmm. is ultimately overcome by the monkey. And Miss Coulter says that we will have a confrontation, which I will always win. And she does. And in the heat of passion and yelling at Lyra, she reveals that Lord Asriel is actually her father. Yep. It's a hell of a bomb to drop on somebody. Yeah. And Lyra Lyra asks who her mother was, and she says, well, it could have been anyone. And the way she says that, and the way she talks about how they used to bump into each other, and the fact that she even knows that Lord Asriel is her father, and the fact that they both wear blue very well makes me kind <laughs> of wonder what Miss Coulter knows that she's not telling us. Right, yeah. She seems... She, I mean, she seems to always be wrestling with something, but we can only ask questions, I guess. Mm-hmm. Could be a reason why she's taking this strange, wild child under her wing. Mm-hmm. Beyond. Beyond. Mysterium stuff. Yeah. yeah. So Lyra goes to her room and asks to be left alone. And on either side of the door, they are dealing with some things. Mm-hmm. She pulls out the compass and tries again to make it work and try to find out the truth about where Roger is and Mrs. Coulter and Lord Asriel. And she turns some dials and feels like she's getting closer because mm-hmm. she kicks it away and we see it have a little spark of life. Yeah, whenever she, when she kind of finishes her the the most emotional part of what she's going through at the moment and kind of takes a deep breath and resettles herself, that is when the needle starts ticking a little bit Ooh. on the alethiometer. Interesting. And that is important. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Coulter outside of her door is wrestling with what she she's done. 
she feels you know really upset for having dropped this knowledge on lyra mm-hmm. i think probably more that than anything else yeah honestly I, yeah i'm 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 wondering if she's feeling worse about having dropped that knowledge on her or having lost her control in front of her right it's a it's something that mrs coulter clearly is not used to dealing with she can wield power over men, but she cannot control this little girl. She expects children to be sweet and obedient, which makes me think she hasn't been around a lot of kids that weren't just objectively terrified of her. So they were behaving. Yeah. Right. Exactly. She's never been around a comfortable kid before, so she doesn't know this is just how they are. Yeah. Unpredictable. No wonder your father left you at the college <laughs> as a baby. <laughs> you are a lot. <laughs> Capital letters. Uh, we see Boreal meet with a man in a cafe who expected him to come a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's demanding to know about the other world and wanting to see his demon. And he does finally relent and shows him the snake that's in his sleeve. Sleeve. And that is absolutely going to come back later. Uh huh. Wait, how much focus was put on that? I know your tricks. Do you think this is a poisonous snake? Or I mean, is it? It would be venomous. Sorry, I'm a nerd. <laughs> yeah. Poison is something that you ingest. Venom is something that's Well, if you took a bite you. out of the snake, would it be poisonous? <laughs> that's what I was asking you. <laughs> Perhaps. If you bit the right part, maybe. Um, I don't know. It looks just like um, maybe a milk snake to me. Okay. But why would somebody who is the way that he is have a snake that isn't dangerous? That seems deeply unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like boreal snake is really dangerous. Oh, God. <laughs> this is dick joke number two. <laughs> You're welcome. Buckle <laughs> in, folks. Going to be a lot of those, I bet. <laughs> so he says he's paying him not to advise him, and I don't know what he's paying him for because he's clearly not taking care of his car or anything. <laughs> yeah. But asks him to help find what I believe is Grumman. With an osprey for a demon who must have crossed over. He didn't mm-hmm. die. Lord Azrael lied. Grumman's alive and in this world. There is a lot of stuff happening in this episode that, in the books, does not show up until the second one. It's really interesting the the way that they've kind of chopped and screwed the timeline of some things. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, because I I like to I'm I'm of two minds. You could say I beat my demon in this when it comes to this category. <laughs> Is that I want to know, I want to have read the books to understand kind of what's happening, but I also like not being spoiled when it comes to a story like this and letting it happen the way it's supposed to happen. Right. And I feel like HBO is giving giving me that experience by remixing things. I do. I, like, as weird as it can be as someone who has so much foreknowledge of the books to watch this, I am really enjoying the construction of the information and just the way that things are being revealed to us. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's good writing. Good. That's why we're your perfect spirit guides for this journey. Uh, We go back to Lyra and Mrs. Coulter having uh, dinner on the terrace. Do they have all of their meals on the terrace? I mean, if you have a terrace, why the fuck wouldn't you? If the weather's nice? Exactly. Absolutely. Bugs, I guess. That's the only reason. (laughs) Sorry. Eating outside can suck sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Um, but Lyra is kind of picking at her food, which looks like boring adult food. Um, and it looks really tasty to me. Does that mean I'm a boring adult now? 
It means you have taste. You have some culture. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine, I have taste and culture. <laughs> Having better eating habits than a 12-year-old, I think, is probably an okay thing to, to own. And I see another scene where... I love in the scene where Lyra stabs down at one of her <laughs> eggs or something like that. She's so good. Mm-hmm. Coulter tells Lyra that maybe Roger, you know what? Maybe he never left home. Maybe he stayed there and he forgot about you and so did everyone else because they're not going to tell you that he's still there. Right. And tells her it's time to move on. And Lyra says, you're a liar. Does mm-hmm. her stabby routine with the food. And she's so good as Lyra. I don't know what maybe you imagine when you were reading the books as a child or anything like that, but I was hesitant to move on from the Golden Compass 2007 Lyra because I thought the way she delivered the dialogue was very similar to how the book was written, mm-hmm. that same bratty way. Right. But, um, you know, my biggest complaint with Lyra last episode was that she didn't tell tall tales like she does. Mm-hmm. And this episode, she does. As kind of a, in some ways, a survival thing, but also I'm just trying to have fun in any given circumstance. Right. Yeah. But you can see that she's got that penchant in her and Mrs. Coulter is very eager to drive it out of her. Mm-hmm. Can't have imagination in this house. Nope. Unless you are the architect. Because, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> Coulter leaves with her monkey and uh okay so these two things are happening simultaneously so I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go in order kind of of the timeline here so Coulter leaves with her monkey and arrives at the gobbleratorium <laughs> uh-huh which is maybe not as far away as we might have been led to think right it's walking yeah. distance I think I think it might be in the same building. I think, think it might so? be in the basement. Yeah, I don't see her go oh. anywhere other than the elevator. Oh. Right? No, I think we saw her in the front steps of a building walking up. Oh. Well, never mind. But it's close. It's it, super it, must it could be, be close. next door. Yeah. Um, and this nice of like a granite building makes me think they wouldn't have something that dingy. I don't know. It's very close. It's the basement though. Nobody sees it. Yeah, cuz this whole adventure, she's not gone very long at all either. Yeah. Um, so she arrives and finds the children and helps and uses her bewitching charm to, or just anything, any shred of hope I think they'd, you know, glom onto now. Mm-hmm. And helps them, those who can't write, write letters to their friends, parents, and loved ones. And just the fact that she is an adult woman who is acting kindly and has a pretty face, that could be a little reassuring. Mm-hmm. Even though it makes absolutely no sense, but to a kid to see something like that. Right. This is a chance to reach my parents, my only chance. Why wouldn't I believe this lady? Right. And this is our first, like, confirmed proof, actually visually seeing Mrs. Coulter at the scene of the crime, basically. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But then we're going to see a lot more of scenes of crime. (laughs) She's got a paper trail. Yeah. Lyra goes to the study to find out what she's hiding. And of course, like everything, it's locked. Mm -hmm. And Lyra discovers the secret monkey passages built in the walls and goes into the study that way. And we see really cleverly a lot of this mid-mod decoration and things. (laughs) Climbable. Yes. (laughs) 
is very cleverly built for the monkey to use. What I would love to know is who got into those vents and built the little, nailed in the little wood blocks that make, that let you climb to the second level of, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Or who did the tiling inside of the vents yeah. themselves? Like, I don't know if you've ever done a backsplash, which seems like nothing compared to this. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. <laughs> Yeah, any time you introduce a verticality into a project, mm-hmm. just problems, problems for days. So she uses the the monkey shines passages to find the uh, general oblation board papers, mm-hmm. and in a very clever way, breaks into the locked desk drawer by taking out the one next to it. Yeah, um, just poor desk design, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why that inner wall didn't go up all the way, but I also don't know why demons are separate from people and magic exists and so on and so forth. It's fair. Those are fair questions. Uh, so as Roger is talking about where he's going as he's writing his letter, Lyra is also finding blueprints for the station that Roger is going to, and that's where they're going to head in the north. She also finds blueprints for a machine that she doesn't quite understand that it seems like the machine just separates the children and their demons into separate cages. Mm-hmm. And that's what we know about something that she's working on right now. Yeah. But, you know, if we can, we know that Lyra being separated from her demon too long enough for him to leave another room for them to be put in separate cages. That can't be good. Whatever they're doing. Yeah. Even joined cages like that. Yeah. Doesn't seem right. Mm-mm. Anytime you put a kid in the cage, it's Mm-mm. it's bad. Not good. It's morally incorrect, and you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Sorry. Children should not be put in cages or separated from their parents or demons. Yeah. In mm-hmm. any situation. Should never be separated from their support structures, no matter what the reason. Right. So after all of this, we see Mrs. Coulter dumping all of the letters the children have just written into an incinerator. Yep. So maybe the most evil thing that we've seen her do so far. Yes. I think. Because she watches it burn. Yeah. And she's it, like real happy about it. Yeah. It seems like this entire, I, I don't know how many children they've gobbled. Mm-hmm. If this is, how many children would you say are in this bunker? Like 20 less? Mm, maybe a little bit less, but. So if the Egyptians are moving or have lost 16 children mm-hmm. and there's less than that in this group, then this isn't the first time they've taken a group of children, right? It does, doesn't seem like it. There seems to be a system set in place for this already. Like the fact that they're being moved around multiple times, the, yeah. the letter writing thing even feels like... Yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. Is the letter writing thing, was that just cathartic for mrs coulter in that moment or is that just a thing they always do is that just like a yeah like a pacifying tactic for the kids she's she's interesting she's complicated she is complicated uh yeah lyra rushes back to her desk just in time for (laughs) mrs coulter to get back home and the monkey tries to pet her demon in a way to maybe make up with her in a way yeah It's awkward. Super gross. Don't like it. So that night, Lyra seals all of her vents away from the monkey shines. (laughs) And 
Lyra discovers just how difficult to understand grown-ups really are. Yeah, they got a lot of shit going on in their heads Mm -hmm. just all the time. All the time. Stuff gets complicated once you get responsibilities. Also, when your moral compass is broken. (laughs) Sometime later, before the party, Boreal arrives back in our world uh, through his slippery little world portal. Makes me wonder what this place is. Like, they got lucky enough to get prime real estate in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. And in both worlds, this is an abandoned building that no one's ever going to be sneaking around in. I guess so. Yeah. I know. I know something about this. But also, um, I just wanted to discuss the the shimmery doorway effect. Uh That was really well done. Yes. Because it is so subtle that... (laughs) Subtle. Mm -hmm. That if you aren't directly looking for it, you might not notice. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It's also very pretty. Also, uh, he... So did he have a change of clothes in the in that conservatory? Or, like, do your clothes change when you cross over? This is not something I ever heard about. Right. Does he just wearing... Because most of the clothes in our world that we're centered in, they're kind of timeless in mm-hmm. a way. Like, they might be a little dated, but it's still just a suit, right? Right, yeah. Uh, you could be doing, like, a retro look in modern England, yeah, so I wasn't but he sure. has a yeah he has a like the tie and all the magisterium accoutrement on mm-hmm. that, but when he was in what we could recognize as you know our world twenty nineteen world or whatever, um, he was just wearing a I think a black suit jacket over a black button down shirt or something. It was much more simple. Oh so, yeah, you're right. Did he change? I don't yeah. know. He's got a bunch of clothes in the trunk of his car. In the trunk of his. Abandoned conservatory. (laughs) (laughs) So Lyra is serving champagne at Mrs. Coulter's party. Mm -hmm. Being a good little serving girl. (laughs) Yeah. And a reporter named Adele finds her. And she accosts Lyra to ask her for more information about. And within the scene, she reveals that, you know, GOB is short for gobblers. And how have you not figured this out? Yeah, I know that was an interesting choice. Like, okay, you literally just showed us all the papers. You focused on the GOB at the top of the papers. They were in big font, but we still apparently needed another character to just fucking spell it out for us. This is a third step of that three-step reveal. (laughs) You've made it. Here's your chip. (laughs) So Boreal arrives in this really menacing, sexy way in an elevator. Who knew that riding an elevator could be sexy? It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that could be better is if Boreal and Mrs. Coulter were in the elevator together, I guess. That would be some tension. Yeah. That would be fun. Uh, ooh, give me the keys to that elevator. <laughs> um, and Coulter finds him at the elevator when he arrives and tries to find out where he was. Mm-hmm. So it's at this point that we understand that she doesn't know he's traveling between worlds either. Yeah, that seems to be the case. And then we see Adele, the reporter, just spelling everything out. And then uh, Mrs. Coulter sees her, realizes that she wasn't invited, twists her arm and forces her out as Lord Bor- or is his name Lord Boreal? He's just Boreal. He's just my <laughs> daddy Boreal escorts her out. <laughs> Ooh, daddy. 
Then Lyra sees the opportunity because the elevator is unlocked to escape. She almost does it, then goes back for the lithiometer, runs out of time and space, and just goes out the window. She's a pro roof escapes, crosses multiple fire escapes, and is gone. And I'm wondering in this scene, how far can Mrs. Coulter's demon actually travel? Could Mrs. Coulter's demon have gone on the roof and followed her? Because that's kind of what monkeys do, <laughs> is climb. Could have he could, could he have gone to as far as he could follow her? Mm-hmm. Does he have information that he's sharing back with Mrs. Coulter? These are all good questions. Why was he in Mrs. Coulter's office sorting through papers when she was in her bedroom why did he need to go through the walls to do it why couldn't well, he just walk down the fucking hallway it's right her apartment yeah. but she built him all of these things mm-hmm. i'm yeah just a lot of questions here but i'm loving it this isn't <laughs> this is a nice relief from watching the watchman on hbo which is just all questions and mysteries and who knows what the fuck's going on you know you're not going to know until the very end this i'm these are these engaged episode by episode questions where mm-hmm. I'm just immersed in this world and not confused. I love it. I just know that everyone's got a secret side to them. Just like real humans, I guess. So we see Boreal puts Adele in a car and crushes her delicate, pretty butterfly. I- killing her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- when the demon dies, the person does too. That's my understanding. Okay. And if a person dies, I assume the demon dies too. Mm-hmm. They disappear into a poof of dust. Gosh, it seems really risky. I don't know. For anyone to settle on a bug-shaped demon, like I said earlier. Yeah, I I mean, I guess it makes sense knowing that you don't really get a choice. It's kind of just how it happens. And also, I don't know, there's a whole conversation to be had about how weird it is to anthropomorphize certain aspects of animals to make them match us yeah so that they would be in it yeah okay it's all it's all a little stupid but do demons eat are you always eating for two like is lyra always going to be buying th- cat food so in <sighs> like, I'll, I'll just mention this i don't think it's a spoiler for anything but in the book they mentioned the the demon's physicality is not it's very light like it has almost no weight so, no, I don't think they have to. No matter to. what shape? Yeah. Okay. I don't think they have to eat. I think they just, you can feed them snacks or whatever. So they're connected in that way that they, you can sustain your own body and it sustains the demon as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think so. Interesting. Which I kind of appreciate. It makes them feel less like pets and more like this spiritual extension of yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it makes me wonder in all seriousness if, you know, I'm a hawk that's circling in the sky do i view a demon mouse as the same as a mouse mouse no i think demons know each other maybe protects them from yeah i don't know i want to give this show all the credit it deserves (laughs) (laughs) just got world building questions yeah so the gobblers at the behest of one very creepy nurse move all of the children to the station, separate the boys and the girls. 
and we see they're marching the children out and Roger and Billy right next to each other, still tears on their chubby, adorable cheeks. Mm-hmm. Little Billy, at one point earlier in the episode, his glasses kind of fogged up a little bit and it just, because you could tell he's like crying or it's hot in there and it's just sadness, heartbreakingly cute. I'll yeah. say it. I've said it again. I'll say it before. I'll say it a million times in no kind of grammatical sense. <laughs> These kids are cute and I'm worried. <laughs> uh, yes, you have every right to be worried. Uh, I, I appreciate that the woman who's directing them tells them to go left and right and it's her left and right, not theirs. Oh. That was a very... Yeah. That was a specific choice. Yeah. She's no teacher of children. She's just there to collect. Also, it's, you know, she is the authority. Mm-hmm. So it's her her perspective is the only one that matters. Right. Or maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, you're Not absolutely possible. right. Excellent point. So finally, Lyra finds an alleyway and they don't believe they're being followed, but she finds a doorway at the very end to sit down and sleep at. And Pantalime and, you know, uh, those two senses of self, she's you know, really lamenting the fact that she lost out on this powerful woman and maybe she should have trusted her or something like that. And that she really felt a lot for her, but also Pantalaimon's telling her to go to sleep. You need to relax. We need to find Roger. We need to make a plan. And just as she's about to drift off to sleep, we hear the whistling man and the fox and she gets gobbled. Mm-hmm. And that's how we end the episode. Yeah, I'm just... Uh... Good old-fashioned gobbling. Good old-fashioned gobbling, just like mom used to make. (laughs) She, okay, so what I know is that Mrs. Coulter is in charge of the gobblers. Mm -hmm. This is the same person that got Billy and Roger. Mm -hmm. Lyra definitely got gobbled. Yep. Did Mrs. Coulter send this person, or is this person just gobbling on his own and snatched up Lyra? Uh, I I think I know, but also the show is beginning to like skew away from the books in certain ways, mm-hmm. so I don't know for sure. I th- it feels like he's acting independently because if... I, I feel like Mrs. Coulter still wants to put out this pretense of being nice mm-hmm. and still wants to offer Lyra a certain kind of world. Yeah. So I don't think he would be as gruff about it as he was. But they also, there's that conversation with, between Mrs. Coulter and Father McPhail in her hallway where he mentions sacrifices and having oh. to make sacrifices mm. to move things forward. So who knows? Could be one of them. Yeah. Does this gobbler guy respond to Lord McPhail's commands? Did he send him after her? Ooh. Good questions. Yeah. How is this man so good at finding lonely children? A creepier question. <laughs> yep. I think maybe he just kind of lives on the street. He People can... People know if there is something wrong with you in this world based on your demon. And I have a feeling that he doesn't fit in very well with normal society. He may be a fringe kind of person. Yeah. And if so, just just infinite time to follow children and be a fucking creep. He is a private gobbler. 
Gobble for money. Gobble, you want me to do. You want ready for feedback? He's an ultra. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Okay. Well, if you have feedback that you'd like to send to us, you can do so at tv at baldmove.com. We also have a discussion going on in the forums at forums.baldmove.com every week about the episodes. We have just a few pieces of feedback this week, which I am going to read in order of spoileriness. None of these emails are going to be spoilery this week, except for the last one, and I'll put a big disclaimer again before we get into it. Our first piece of feedback is from David. And David, he wrote this before this most recent episode, but it's in response to our last podcast. What if demons get their names from the parents' demons? Like Mm -hmm. the human parents name the human and the parents' demons name the baby demon. I mean, the souls are connected to make a demon, so why not? It's just as reasonable as anything else. Yeah, Yeah, I I like like that idea, except in the case of, you know, like orphans or people who, Mm -hmm. uh, whose parents die in childbirth or die before they're born type of thing. Maybe that's why we see some kids whose demons are named things like Ratter, (laughs) which is not a good name. But he's... Maybe that was the name given by, you know, his person once he was old enough Mm. to... Yeah. Those words. Ratter doesn't really make much sense. It's bad. It's a name that you give a barn cat, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right. That That's an excellent theory, David. I like it. Me too. I think if you were one of those people who followed tradition, then surely I could see that being the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tepinkinsaw writes in and says, I wonder if you could elaborate on the religious aspect of the show. You alluded to the fact that the Golden Compass movie didn't do well in part because of religious objections to it, but I'm not quite sure I understand what those objections are or were. I've seen people refer to this franchise as the anti-Narnia, but I don't really get why. I gather it has some kind of anti-religious bias, but because I'm so new to the story, I haven't really grasped that yet. Any light you can shed on this would be greatly appreciated. I think maybe the easiest way to explain this in kind of a broad way that doesn't spoil anything is to say imagine the story of paradise lost except reverse the roles of the good and the bad people and that is kind of in some ways what this story is doing so it's subverting your idea of original sin and saying that maybe that's something that should be preserved which is not something that the church appreciates interesting and it also um there there are bigger themes of like sexuality and anytime you start talking about that a church is going to get mad about it right yeah you can Demons, see just the the use of the word demon as something good right yeah i mean you can see a little bit um maybe in lord asriel's speech in the first episode that the science versus religion the exploration of other worlds or things we don't understand is considered to be heretical Mm -hmm. and you know those people as scientists want to expand their greater knowledge and 
it seems like there are people who can maybe try to do both. Like Mrs. Coulter is splitting that line between wanting to explore science and getting into or, you know, working for this religious uh, group. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that we are going to understand a little bit more as the series progresses. But you'd, you'd really know better than I would. Uh, I think also the the magisterium here, you could see that as a parallel to the Catholic Church, and they are pretty clearly the the sneakiest, most bad guyish characters in the story, at least so far. And I can't imagine that church people would be cool with that. Being a, you know, them being shown as this authoritative, vengeful, just bad group. That right. kills people and nobody likes. <laughs> yeah, so much different from the real Catholic Church. Oh, it's it's very different. <laughs> no, it, I can't even believe that anybody would even draw these lines between these things. Yeah, so that's just a little <laughs> taste of the differences that we've observed. <laughs> okay, our last piece of feedback is from Brian. Brian says... Another good episode of His Dark Materials. I'm enjoying the pace of the show so far. It feels like attention is being given to build out the world and the characters, but it's not boring or slow. Yeah, I would say it's not either of those things. Because there have been a lot of critics that have said it's slow and plotting to episode four, but Mm -hmm. I can't say that that's true. Um, I saw some earlier... Well, here we go. Brian's going to sum it up for us. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt. I saw some earlier views complaining that the show is taking too long to go anywhere and was kind of dull, but I found it riveting. Whenever I come to a TV show as a book reader, I often find myself slightly antsy waiting for the setup and early intros to get through so the meat of the story can be told, but here I have been enjoying the buildup. I think that Pullman's original work, mainly from the POV of Lyra and the Golden Compass, gives plenty of opportunity for the show to paint along the edges with extra details and information, sometimes pulling from future material to make the world and story feel more full and even here are some other thoughts i had while watching those damn kids are going to make me cry every time (laughs) it seems that roger has at least one tear rolling rolling down his round face in every scene he's in and him comforting billy was so sweet it makes me sick yes we had those same thoughts accurate um the relationship between jordan college maybe more specifically the master and the magisterium seems a lot more adversarial than i remember from the books were slash are the other colleges this defiant? Not sure if Scholastic Sanctuary is going to keep them safe much longer. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I think from the books there were like 12-ish colleges in Oxford, mm-hmm. including St. Sophia's where Mrs. Coulter is from and Jordan College. Or is Jordan College like the head of the colleges? I think it might just be the biggest one in the area. Okay. The most presti- prestigious. Prestigious. Uh, Brian continues, I was pleased to see characters moving between worlds so soon in the series. When reading the book, suddenly seeing characters that we know from Lyra's, Lyra's world rather traveling to other worlds in the subtle knife always seems jarring to me. Introducing the concept of the windows right from the start is a welcome change. I do think it's a nice way to blend the two books together because the first book is very much an adventure story. And then in the second and third books things it's still an adventure story but it it changes things start going off the rails like they like he like brian said they start introducing these concepts like 
Are we? We're in no. Are we in the spoiler section? Not quite. Okay. Yet. Um. Okay. Then I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> we're yet. close. We're close. Hold on to it. Um. Finally, or er, finally, in this part before the spoiler section. He says that Ruth Wilson is absolutely captivating to me. I think it's her mouth. It's so uniquely shaped and seems to morph depending on what she's emoting. Anger, joy, concentration, sadness all have their own unique look. She's doing a great job. And when she lets her anger get the better of her and her and uh, slips the Asriel being Lyra's father thing, then cries outside Lyra's door, chef's kiss, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's absolutely her mouth. I mentioned earlier that it's the like, the smile and the hmm thing that mm-hmm. she does. It's, it's interesting. Her mouth is doing a lot. Her eyes are doing a lot too. I will say mm-hmm. she does a really good job uh, at certain points. And it's what makes it so creepy is that she is smiling without smiling with her eyes. She, she does a good job, like <laughs> letting her eyes be a little bit dead while the mouth is doing a lot of the work. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. It's her, it's the, opposite of these demons they it's all in the eyebrows i guess Mm -hmm. these demons have so much expression going on with them all of them at the same time and she has everything real that these demons don't Mm -hmm. and just knows what to move and what not to ruth wilson i knew her before the show Mm -hmm. but i don't i can't recall anything i've actually seen her in we saw her in that uh really that really small theater that we saw the the ghost movie in, but it wasn't actually a ghost movie. I should have looked this up before the name of it. I don't remember the one with the the redheaded guy in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little little monsters, little stories, little stories. Mm, no, maybe. I don't know. It's oh my god. Sorry that I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. This is not my thing. You will learn the more you listen to me. But it is this kid who his mother used to work, I think, in this mansion. So he was a kid there at the same time as these two girls that were sisters. And this... It was Little Stories. Uh, was it? Is I'm, that... I'm fairly okay. certain that's what okay. it was called. And the whole, like, his whole trauma was based around... Yes. Breaking a piece of the carving. The mirror, the... Yeah, carving, the carvings. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I don't remember her from that, but yeah, oh, she's... yeah, she was the, I would say, the the female lead in that. Okay. Well, I just tried to block that movie out because <laughs> it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rough. But she's, yeah, she's incredible. Mm-hmm. So that's all we've got for non-spoiler things. I'm going to read the second half of Brian's email and consider this to be spoilery completely. You've been warned. Yeah. So, again, if you want to tap out now and you don't want to hear spoilery, spoilery, outright spoilery things, then we will see you next week. Again, you can send feedback to tv at baldmove.com, forums.baldmove.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias at baldmove. You can find us there. I thought that we were going to get bears in the next episode, but no, I'm not so sure. I'm sorry. On HBO and BBC's behalf. Why Why don't you think that? It seems... I Bear time? No, no. Her being gobbled seems so personal and direct that I'm thinking maybe she's not going to go straight... Or, I mean, the next scene, are we going to pick up right in this alleyway and the Egyptians are going to be saving her? 
don't know. Mm. This is a spoiler, by the way. Oh, yeah. We're in the spoiler section. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I thought that the end of this episode, we would have the Egyptians swooping in and saving her. But now I'm not... Eh, okay, well, the preview that they showed makes me think that that will happen in the next episode. But I'm surprised that it didn't already happen. We spent so much time on other things. I think those the scenes with Lord Boreal jumping around different universes took up some of that time. Yeah. I could see them wanting to hang every one of these episodes on a cliffhanger, though. Yeah, that's For fair. reasons. Dramatic yeah. tension. Yeah, hopefully mm-hmm. that will resolve itself immediately, and then we can finally see her learn to use the golden compass, the Elithiamata. Yeah, that is when she, in the book, starts learning. So. Yeah. Hot spoiler, are they trying to tell us that Mrs. Coulter's monkey demon can go far away from her? From what I remember, there are a few ways to achieve this. Journey through the underworld slash death world without your demon, go through a ritual that the witches perform, or sever your connection to your demon via the guillotine in Bolvanger. Is this just the case of Mrs. Coulter practicing moving farther and farther away from her demon until they can be farther apart than normal people, or but not like the witches? These are all good questions. There's also a fourth way that's introduced in the new trilogy, mm-hmm. where if, for whatever reason, like when you're a kid, there's some childhood accident that forces you to be away from your demon if you survive that then you are you can just be away from them you can be further away from them Hmm. so it could be that it could be some past trauma which i do know of a little bit of past trauma related to mrs coulter um i believe she was sexually assaulted in her mid mid mid-20s because of course she was if you've read the new books you no, I mean, she's no, a woman, that happens so... a lot, yeah. She's a woman in a story, so obviously, how else would she experience drama, Alexis? Jesus. Yeah, but also, like, I kind of get it, because I feel like over half of the women I've spoken to in my lifetime have been sexually assaulted at some point. So, I get it. But, yeah, <laughs> it could be... Still not okay, guys. Everyone. <laughs> Still not Everyone. great. Still... Still not great. Not a great backstory, no, but it's what we've it's, got. <laughs> you know, character development through sexual trauma is never great, um... But yeah, it could be it could be any of those things. We don't know. I they're doing some stuff with the story that is different from what I know of the books. I mean, that's just from my uneducated take. Mm-hmm. Is I thought she I thought it was kind of a mental illness that maybe she had bipolar disorder mm-hmm. and that's how she was able to, you know, both practice physically getting away from her demon and making that connection weaker, but also that they seem to be acting at odds with mm-hmm. each other and their purpose like why was he digging through her papers what information would that demon not have that needs to get without her or the other thing i was thinking in that scene is that i thought you could also you shared information with your demon mm-hmm. so if lyra wanted pan to turn into a hawk and fly up high lyra immediately knows everything that pan sees mm-hmm. so i figured that mrs coulter was just trying to get some information from the papers didn't want to get out of bed, sends the demon in there to look something up. Could be. It could also be like her subconscious maybe feeling a little bit of guilt about this whole thing that she's doing. So the monkey is like reviewing these papers. Like, what am I doing? This is Yeah. This is my daughter. Where right. where do I go with this? Where are the lines? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Um in the spoiler section. <laughs> and say whatever we want. Yeah, she's her mom. <laughs> but uh 
the demon the demon monkey his eye color is blue hmm you know that, well, no, he's got that like blue coloring around his eyes, oh, like yes. the blue, white, gold thing. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Clever. I couldn't look at its face long enough to see that stuff. Monkeys kind of freak me out. Monkeys freak bit. me the hell out too, but too human adjacent. It's it's just too close to the uncanny valley. Right. It's so pathetic that you want to feel bad for it, which is why I wanted to look at it. But also, this is part of her personality. So why am I feeling bad for this thing? Yeah. Who's I don't know. It's, it's complicated. It is complicated. And they are portraying the demon as more of the victim here in the show than I think they have in both that terrible movie and the books. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, I think we are going to wait a little bit to talk more about the guillotine and the witch stuff yeah. when that comes up. But all great questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, Brian's hottest spoiler Nice bit of foreshadowing slash winking at the readers with Mrs. Coulter's talk about her fear of heights and urge to jump. This is something I know nothing about, but I assume just from the way she said it in that scene, I assume that it's going to, it's Chekhov's uh, terrorist jump. (laughs) (laughs) Chekhov's roof gun. Right. Yeah. If Um, you don't think she was going to jump on the terrace, if you don't think she was going to drown herself in that bathtub, (laughs) then... That that's on you. That's not even a spoiler. <laughs> sure, right. I hmm, this is the point where I try to remember how everybody ends up in this story. And I don't. I don't. That's just the that's just the truth. Yeah. I don't remember what happened to Mrs. Coulter. Yeah. Seems like all that information is a little bit fresher in Brian's mind, but mm-hmm. I appreciate you writing in and keeping us informed and relevant i'm absolutely like, gonna listen to these fucking books again i'm gonna have to <laughs> yeah they're bringing in so much stuff from i'm not all going to i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it pure that's good you stay you stay deeply saturated in all of it and we'll try to walk this line sounds good we'll be like a person and demon that are just getting farther and farther apart but the closer we get together we have total knowledge of everything <laughs> spoiler for book two of the new trilogy Ah, shit. (laughs) (laughs) We're in the spoiler section. It's fine. All right. Well, that's all I've got this week. Do you have more? Nope. Nothing. Cool. I know nothing. Well, this is exciting. I'm having a lot of fun watching the series. I'm looking forward to all the everything that it's got. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yep. See you guys. Thanks for listening.